Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. We talk in the company about being IPO ready. It's not necessarily that we're going to IPO, but it's saying that we have the fundamentals to go public if that ends up being something we want to do. So we're doing a lot right now to get there. If I think about what we need to do, I, it's not long-term. It's, I mean, it's relatively near-term. Jeff Waters is always looking for a challenge. He thrives on chasing growth and the rush that comes by solving hard problems. And a maturing market often signals the need for a fresh start. So it may come as no surprise that Waters found his way to battery storage and one of its darlings, Oregon-based Powen Energy. The company with three gigawatt hours of assets in operation and another 12 gigawatt hours in production is steadily separating itself from a pack of would-be contenders. Waters got his start in semiconductors and later led solar module manufacturer Maxion in its spinoff from SunPower into public markets. Only a few months into his role as Powell and CEO, he's already positioning the company to be IPO ready for the time when the right opportunity arises, and it could be soon. I'm John Engel, Editor-in-Chief of Renewable Energy World. This week on Factor This, Waters highlights opportunities ahead for battery storage, weighs in on concerns of market saturation, and discusses a potential IPO timeline. That's all next on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. Jeff Waters, thanks so much for joining the Factor This podcast. It's great to see you. John, great. Thank you very much for the offer. Happy to be with you. Yeah, of course. So uh, I will acknowledge that you're just about three months into the new gig as CEO of Powen. So we, we give you a little bit of grace there, but I appreciate you for um, agreeing to come on. I, I think I reached out the second that you were announced and and rightfully uh, your, your team thought maybe he should get his feet wet a little bit before coming on the podcast, um, which I, I think they were they were right to do. So um, just to, to set the stage here, uh, Powen, based in Oregon, battery storage provider that has experienced some really remarkable growth over the past few years. And I'm looking forward to unpacking that transition for for you and the company and your vo- your views on the, the broader battery storage landscape. But let's start with the move. Let's start with your career shift. Uh, you were appointed CEO of the solar module manufacturer Maxion when it spun off from SunPower and took that company public. So why was this the right time for a change? And what excited you about Powen? You know, it's interesting. As I've, as I've thought about my career, um, a little bit of the the changes I've made have been somewhat serendipitous. But I think uh, I give myself a little bit of credit for really enjoying markets that are trying to do important things, but that are also in a real significant period in their growth. Um, I spent the first half of my career in the semiconductor industry. So this is started out of undergrad in the late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, their chips were kind of just coming in to solve a lot of problems, right? Replacing vacuum tubes and computers. They were, you know, enabling early cell phones, uh, enabling the Internet, uh, you know, more recently enabling driver assistance and safety features in cars. But as you look through the way those markets emerged, you had this great idea, this great technology. But to get that technology to the point where it would be mass manufacturable and have the quality and reliability that it needed, that it could safely do what the, the problem was that it was trying to solve, that took a lot of work and took a lot of effort and a lot of innovation. Uh, when I made the move, First to join SunPower, and when they were contemplating the spinoff of what, what then became Maxion Solar, it was really my first kind of foray into renewables. And I kind of saw the same thing. I mean, as you know, here in the U.S. in particular, there's this debate between people that are very strong on renewables, people that see are more skeptics around it. And <clears throat> so I went into it with a, with a pretty, let's say, a blank slate and thinking about it. Um, what it struck me is that this is a great solution to a very significant problem, and that I think reasonable people can create arguments as to why we're not quite ready to make the full switch over to to a clean grid. 
And um, it struck me as being a really fun thing, a really valuable thing to put my energies into. Um, so I joined, um, joined SunPower. Uh, we were fortunate enough, especially during a pandemic and all the supply chain wackiness and capital constraints that were out there to get the spinoff to happen. And Maxion was launched as a public company. Had a great ride there. And I would say as a part of that, you know, we built up a, a two gigawatt utility scale business. I think as a part of that, what I, what I saw was that really what is holding back a clean grid right now is storage. I think with panels, you know, panels, they've been, we've been at it for panels for multiple decades. I think there's a lot of volume. There's a lot of reliability. The costs have gotten down. I think it's a great source of energy. But as you know, because of the inter intermittency of, of solar and of wind and other renewable sources, um, the really the thing that's holding back more of a conversion, more of like getting rid of all the arguments as to why we can't have a clean grid is really around storage. And so when the Palin opportunity came along to me, it seemed like just a great place to, to put my my experience and, and my my efforts into. And I think it's a good sign for storage that you're jumping in now because you're someone that targets growth opportunities and growth segments and companies poised for that. You went from semis to solar and now to storage. The the former two have experienced a bit of commoditization in in which we hope that that storage doesn't follow a, a similar um, trend. But how do you view that in in terms of like you know the opportunity here? Why Powen? Why this moment? And you've been in that race for a long time. I'm, I'm sure that you don't want to continue getting into that, you know, um, that, that, that path because it's exhausting and it's hard work. Well, you know, in some ways, commoditization is a good thing, right? Because it, it speaks to maturity. It speaks to widespread availability of a, of a technology and a solution to an important problem. Uh, I, you know, I think when I think about why I don't see storage as racing to commodity, commoditization um, in the same way that you've seen panels is I think it's a much more sophisticated and complex problem. And really storage at the end of the day, probably the, the best analogy I can make is to a lot of the driver assistance and safety features that goes into cars. It's not just a hardware solution. It's not just a software solution. It's the combination of the two. And it's solving a super important problem, but also one that really demands quality, reliability, and, and safety. So it's not, it's not the kind of thing that you can do in a half-hearted way. It's, it's got to be a complete solution, one that can be trusted. When you think about the market, then you combine just kind of the unique elements of the kind of the developer market and the utility market. Uh, you've got customers that are deploying you know, billions of dollars in capital to go after solutions that have, you know, for very financially savvy people have really high hurdle rates when it comes to, to business returns. They're looking for solutions. They look right now and they see storage as being, oh, what, what a great thing to add to the grid. It could solve a lot of problems. It's a great effective way to get there. What they want is a supplier, a partner that they can trust. And I think that trust falls along three key elements. The one is, you know, are they bankable and are they going to be bankable long term? So can I count that they're going to be there from day one through day 7,300 of my project? Um, do they have a product that can get delivered on time so they can help me meet my schedules to my end customer? And is it a product that has high quality and high reliability? Doing all three of those things is a challenge. When I saw Palin struck me as a firm that in many ways I think is uniquely served to hit to check those three boxes and be a great supplier for the long term. I think that also speaks to why this isn't something that, that I think is going to commoditize quickly. Hey, Factor This listeners, it's John Engel. I wanted to let you know that you can now watch every new episode of the Factor This podcast on YouTube. Just search Renewable Energy World and leave a rating and review while you're there. Thanks for listening. So let's, before we get too far down the rabbit hole here, um, help us set the stage for Powen's role in the market, what you're doing, and then describe for me where the company is in its own growth trajectory. Because you strike me as someone who likes a challenge and wants to get to that last mile and wouldn't just join an operation where all of the tough stuff is done. So um, help us get there a little bit. 
Sure, fair to say. So I think what the way to think about Palin is uh, when you look at the opportunity for doing large-scale storage, large-scale grid-connected storage, uh, really what Palin's trying to do is to make that a very safe and effective investment for developers, for IPPs, for, for the utilities. So we so in order to do that, you need to develop a complete solution, which is what we do. So we don't do the cells. That's really the only part that we don't do. So we will rely on a multitude of, of suppliers. And seemingly every month, there are new suppliers that are coming into that market. But we take a look at the rich and broad number of, of cell suppliers that are out there. We pull those in. We assemble them in our own modules. We assemble those into stacks. We then couple those with inverters and transformers, and we make a complete hardware solution. We then couple that with a complete software stack, everything down to the BMS, which manages the battery, the cells at the cell level, all the way up through the TMS, which does all the thermal management, and then all the way up to the energy management as well that really helps with the overall management of the system and the, the connection to the grid. So we do all of that. And again, if you go back to the original premise for why we exist, if I'm investing a billion dollars, I want to work with somebody that's going to deliver me that system. I want basically one throat to choke, right? I want somebody that can bring together that complete system and that is able to control it all the way down to the software level and to be able to give me the, insur the assurances that, that I'd like to have around, around security, right? And, and certainly owning that whole software stack is important. You know, one of the things that I liked about Pound is it wasn't kind of a far-flung idea. It wasn't some new entrant. Pound's been at this, I think, for close to seven years. We really started in earnest shipping products, probably going back to three, four years ago. Today, we have three gigawatt hours that are deployed out in the field. We have another 12 gigawatt hours that are currently in some form of construction as we speak. And I would say the demand is overwhelming. It's um, There is such a rich amount of opportunity that's out there. That, um, you know, for me, where Pound is in the market that it is and the problem that it's trying to solve just seems like the ideal opportunity to jump into. Parsing out the product a little bit more, we do see a, a number of new entrants on the software side and some with some considerable scale. But to to get a Pound battery, do you also have to have the Pound software? You don't piece those out at all? We don't. So, you know, and that's, I think, one of the benefits that we have as a company is you know, many of our competitors, they will get the BMS from whoever's supplying uh, their module, uh, whoever their cell supplier is. And uh, we do that all ourselves. Um, and, and I don't think it, in any way for our customers, they really, I think they see it as a, a big advantage of us because they know that we're going to own the full stack, right? It's not, we're not going to be pointing a finger at somebody else or blaming somebody else for a BMS that went awry. It's we own it, it's integrated, it's tightly coupled with the thermal management, with the energy management that happens at the higher levels of that, that software stack. And then the choice to avoid getting involved in cells, is that just a, a risk management uh, perspective and, and trying to focus on what you're good at and not get so hung up in the supply chain mess? Yeah, a cell development is a beast in and of its own, right? It's uh, you know not just to develop today's technology well, which is, is not easy. And there's certainly a lot of, I think, fairly cheap capital over in China that, that goes at that and across Asia. It's not, it's not a great space to be in for too many, I would say, Western companies, in particular for, for, a, for a U.S. company like ourselves. Um, you also have very significant capital investments that go into that. And those are capital investments that if you have some kind of a breakthrough technology change, which many are trying to develop, if you have some kind of a new cell chemistry or cell architecture that comes along, it could render a big chunk of your, of your, your capital um, uh, useless to an extent, right? You have to go back and replace it. So for us, we see that as the piece where there are a lot of people coming into that. We feel that'll get commoditized and we can leverage multiple different suppliers um, to, to build up the systems that we have where we think the real differentiation is. Hey, explain that a little bit more on the differentiation. What do you think separates you Powin from other providers that are in the market, both in the U.S. And, and globally, because it is pretty competitive. Yeah, I would say, you know, it goes back again to the kind of the three tenets that I described, right? You want to be kind of bankable for the long term. You want to be a company that has, um, that can deliver on time. You want to be a company that has a product that will work 
throughout the lifetime of our customers' projects in the way that we promise that it will. So the key ways to differentiate within that space. I think first, maybe I'll talk about it in terms of our competitors. I think I would break them into a couple of buckets. <clears throat> I think on one hand, you have a number of competitors that are coming from outside of the United States, coming outside of, um, let's say, sitting mostly within the Chinese, uh, within China, and maybe sitting over in Asia. Um, I think as I think about them compared to what we do, a lot of the, the more localized support that we have, a lot of the more kind of a customer friendliness that we have and long-term support is something that our customers find compelling, whether it be in Australia or whether it be in Europe or whether it be within the U.S. Um, and I think there's also, you know, if you think about the financial relationship that you're creating with a, you know, an energy system supplier, it you really need to make sure that you've got somebody that you you know that if things do go sideways, in the unfortunate event they do go sideways, that you've got the ability through a court system to be able to get things figured out in one form or another. And that you need to be able to, to feel confident that they're going to be able to stand behind their contracts. So I think we stand aside from a good chunk of our competitors. I think when you then think about our domestic competitors, one of the great things about Palin, and I'll talk about some of the, the product differentiation, but one of the great things about us is that we are, we're a pretty independent company. You know, some of our competitors are part of a bigger company that has a lot of other competing influences and they've got, you know, parents to answer to uh, higher up in the organization. Um, in other cases, they've come together because of some, you know, complex joint ventures that have created them, which creates some additional complexity for Palin. We are, you know, private equity and venture back. We've got a great uh, board that that trusts my leadership and trusts my team's leadership. So we've got the ability, I think, to really stand behind uh, doing what we say we're going to doing when, when it comes to contracting and, and other long term product commitments. From a product perspective, I think the the full, you know, the software element to what we do is fantastic. I think the fact that we've got the ability to work with a broad number of cell suppliers is also really important especially in, in the tumultuous supply chain environment that we some, sometimes get. Um, so I, I went on for a little bit there. And John, I think you were going to jump in. Maybe I'll pause. No, that's helpful. I, I was already starting to think about how we transition to the hard stuff, because that's what I love talking about on this podcast. And I think that's where we provide value is, um, you know, how do you see the market and what are you trying to address? And I'm, I'm assuming there was a list or a, a stack of items that wound up on your desk on day one of, here are our near-term, medium-term, long-term challenges and, and how we continue to scale this company. Can you, can you run through some of those in you know, where you provide the most value to Powin to reach that next level and maybe what some of the early struggles are or were? Sure. Well, I'll just say with, with Powin, I mean, it is a company that grew from you know, almost zero to three gigawatt hours in the course of just a small handful of years. So pretty significant growth very fast. Um, we've had very large established customers, you know, companies like Acacia is owned by BlackRock, um, EDF, a variety of others where we have public announcements. So we've got the big customers. Really where we are as a company is, is at that inflection point where you want to go from your first big wins to really being able to scale. And when I think about the industry, I'd maybe use that as a bit of an analogy for the rest of the industry, where you've got a number of kind of first wave of storage systems that went to the early adopters in the market, people that were willing to maybe take a little bit of a chance with a company they hadn't heard of before, or maybe with a technology that they knew had promise, but wasn't out there in the system with thousands of, or out there in the, in the field with thousands of hours. And they, but they were willing as early adopters to make that leap. A lot of the bumps in the road happened during that period of time. Palin had them, our other large competitors have had them. And I think we're now at that stage where, okay, we're kind of af we're we're beyond that early adopter phase. And I think the market now is really looking for, okay, give me solutions that I know are gonna do what you said they were gonna do, that I'm gonna uh, you know have minimal chance of thermal events, but that they can get managed when they do happen. So you're really making that transition now. And I think that is where I think a lot of the efforts going in with Palin. We have safe, reliable, quality systems. The question is, is how do we take that up to an even higher level? And how does the industry do that? It's one of the things that I think has maybe held storage back a little bit in the early years is 
you know, if you um, if there is some kind of an incident that happens with a fire or something along those lines, it gets in the news. It creates a lot of fodder for naysayers about clean energy. And so how do you graduate from something that is safe? But how do you make it so that it is it hits that very, very high level of reliability like you have, you know, maybe in the uh, the driver assistance systems in a car? It's interesting you frame it that way, and I appreciate you for doing so on thermal events because you do bring it up as if it's not a a big secret and that it's obviously something that we have to deal with. But I do come across the lithium-ion players that don't want to talk about thermal events. What, No matter how seldom they happen, it is still something we have to deal with, and and perception is oftentimes reality, and I think we're seeing that play out in some regions like New York that is now putting together task forces on how to engage communities and firefighters and how do we deal with these these batteries and thermal events? You know, when you have a few in one season, then it starts to become um, a trend in some people's eyes, whether it is or not. Well, why do you why do you approach it that way? Because, um, you know, I've done even interviews for this podcast and for Renewable Energy World where at the outset, you know, the lithium ion folks say, I don't want to talk about fires. Let's talk about everything else. You know, I think if you want to make this. If you want to make storage, what it really needs to be for the world and what the world needs it to be, you have to address these challenges head on. Um, you know, I will point out, as I'm sure maybe others have, that if you look at all the traditional forms of energy, there are all kinds of challenges and issues sure. with all of them, right? I think, you know, we're putting more of a, of a microscope onto um, to renewals because it's new, right? And people are looking for things to be concerned about. Uh, but I think you need to take these kinds of issues and address them head on. You know, in the automotive industry, uh, when there are safety issues that are out there, you get all over them. You make them the top priority of the company. And you don't just fix, certainly you fix the problem immediately, but you really think about, okay, what do, how do we need to change as a company? How do we need to change as an industry to get even better so that these become something that's only in the rear view mirror and that we're, we're able to, to, to handle well going forward? I'd say now what we do a really good job of is making sure that if and when they do happen, and it should be very rare, but if and when they do happen, that they're contained, that it's not going to spread across multiple stacks and that you've got um, you know, the ability to keep it contained so that it's not, it's not a community issue. Yeah, and maybe this is the opportunity to to splice in a conversation about alternative chemistries too, and and how you view that playing into the market. Will Will Powin always, you know, exclusively be a, a lithium ion battery supplier, or do you are you interested in those those other chemistries as well as they continue to evolve and, and commercialize? Oh, we definitely are. I think the way Powin thinks of itself is really being a an energy storage platform provider. We're not wedded to a specific chemistry necessarily in the in the bigger picture. Um, you know, right now, obviously it's it's LFP batteries and we're squarely focused on that and working with suppliers to make sure that we're adopting as they improve those the capacity and those batteries were there. Um, when it comes to alternative chemistries, um, you know, when it comes to you know solid state uh, approaches, uh, we keep ongoing conversations to try and get a sense for where things are headed. Along those lines, and you know whether it be for better safety performance, better um, charging, discharging, retention performance, cycling performance, um, you know it's the kind of thing that again, with the approach that we take, we think we'll be able to adapt very quickly and get ahead of these things as they get ready to uh, to become mainstream. And that's again the point on not you know manufacturing at the cell level is you can pivot as the the technology evolves in the market, right? So you don't. You don't have to go with, you know, flow batteries or whatever forms working on or, you know, you can you can get there once it's ready. Yes, absolutely. It, it's there. You know, there are a lot of hard problems to solve in this. I, one of the things I like about Pound, I think we've chosen some of the some of the long term important and kind of sustainably differentiated problems that exist in this space. Interesting. And the last point that I want to make on the reliability piece is that the episode that's publishing before yours is actually with the director of engineering at NERC um, talking about inverter based resource problems for the grid. You mentioned, you know, we raced to deploy and we wanted to deploy as many projects as possible, both in solar and storage. But I think what we're finding, uh, which is, is kind of unique to the U.S. market, is that there are there are more and more incidents involving these assets in the field where a fault on a transmission line hundreds of miles away is causing solar projects to, to trip. And I'm sure you're acutely aware of that just based on the, the Maxion and, and 
sun power days, but it's but it's um, impacting batteries as well. How, are you guys thinking about that internally about, you know, how do we make sure that that these assets are are truly benefiting the grid and are performing the way they're designed from both the, the OEM side as well as, you know, the utility relationship and so on? Because I think, you know, as as you'll hear in the episode, I hope you listen, as you'll hear in the episode that that comes before you, um, we talk a lot about this. The this industry wanted to run before it walked and and a lot of ambiguity exists in the reliability realm. How do you think about that? You know, it, so about 10 days ago I was in Australia at the uh the Waratah Super Battery site and this is a 1. Point, roughly 7 gigawatt hour deployment that where we're just laying concrete now our, our energy stacks and collection segments are going to be becoming in soon and when you look at that project, the developer there, Acacia, who's um, a part of BlackRock, they have taken a very holistic approach in how they think about delivering a system that's going to do what it needs to do. And, you know, it was great to be there because what you see is that this, this is a project that isn't just important to them from a, from a financial perspective, but as Australians, this is like an immensely important project. It's tangibly important for the grid, but it's also just from uh, getting continuing to go, go down that push on renewable energies. This is it's such a high marquee, high visibility project. But you know they've got a very good close relationship working with us, very good close relationship with uh, CPP, who's the, the EPC in this. Um, Transgrid is also involved, so it's like a very strong ecosystem. And we had a series of meetings and our teams have a series of meetings, but at the executive level as well, we do that because we know that solving these problems is something that you holistically have to get at it. One piece of the pie is not going to get there. And you've got different groups that have their area of specialty and excellence. And um, so I, I, I would think about it in that way. There's a lot of work that we do with the other partners um, in the space to make sure that when it comes to the grid connections, when it comes to, you know, the inverter partners that we have, um, that we're really collaborating to make sure that we're thinking through all the corner cases um, when it comes to, especially when it comes to grid connection, to make sure that we've got a stable system. Taking a look at the the market as a whole, um, what, what do you think are some of those near-term challenges that we need to address and um, maybe the things we don't talk about enough? Obviously, we're talking about thermal events just a second ago, and, and I appreciate going there. But is there anything else that you think is, you know, hanging out there that this industry needs to tackle sooner rather than later that you're seeing, at least in your early experience with Palin? Sure. I mean, I think some of the cues around uh, grid connectivity in the U.S. is something that, you know, obviously, collectively, we need to get our hands around it. You know, for us, we're we're in such a kind of a rising part of the growth curve right now that it's not having a big impact on us, but I know that it is just when it comes to a lot of the, the larger projects um, that are out there. Um, I think the other thing, and, and this is I'll admittedly a little bit self-serving, but I would say is you do have a lot of new entrants coming into this space. And I guess what I would caution is that we really need this industry to have uh, even more of a feeling of maturity than what it's had in the past. And um, I think the players that have been in this, that have skinned their knees a couple of times over their first and second generation products, um, I think we really need to keep pushing. And having a lot of new suppliers coming in with cheaper solutions, with solutions that are maybe half-baked, all it does is set back the dialogue, it sets back the acceptance of what we're trying to do, which is which is super important. So I think really this industry trying to grow toward more of a sense of maturity, kind of in the way you think of, of uh, I'll go back to the automotive industry again, right? You certainly you have new entrants into automotive, uh, but it, you get much more of a sense of confidence when you think about that industry and the solutions they're delivering. We need to get that level of confidence right? Like today's cars, we need to have that level of confidence in this industry so that the constituents of our end customers don't have any pushback or blowback when it comes to having a standalone storage attached to, to their grid or, or having a new solar or wind installation going in their community. 
Can you add some more color around um, what those early missteps may have been or where we skinned our knee that we need to make sure we don't go backwards and, and continue to evolve? Well, I, I think one part of it is around uh, just some of, you know, when you do have any thermal event, that's a really bad black eye for the industry. So we all need to collectively yeah. work to get much better at that. Um, I think as well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I can use it because panels have been around even longer. I can give you a good example there. You know, there are a lot of the panels that were even put in two, three, five, ten years ago that have just decayed and degraded so much in their performance that they're fairly useless sitting up on somebody's rooftop or sitting out in a solar farm. So there were a lot of kind of grandiose claims that were made around the degradation of those panels and the quality and reliability of those panels that just were not founded. Um, I think... If I look back at that, there are a lot of things companies are doing. And certainly it's what we tried to do at, at SunPower Maxion was really make a big deal about the fact that our panels last for 40 years and that they have, you know, the industry's best degradation rates. Um, bringing that level of transparency and um, I think even, you know, getting, getting closer to creating the kinds of reliability and quality standards that you have in other industries is an important thing for us to do. It, again, if, if we can deliver projects on time and they can do from day one to 7,300 what we said they were going to do, everybody wins. That's what I'm most interested in right now, too. I get a lot of requests and, and inquiries from you know people in the PR world or even from the industry about what are you covering? Like, what are you following? I think the performance and quality piece is most important right now. I mean, to your point, we know how to build a solar project, but it has to also work and it has to survive. And um, I we're we're at an interesting inflection point where quality issues and breakage issues and the impacts of severe weather and climate change are all uh, putting project owners and developers under a microscope with not only the public and utilities, but their investors. I think the investor class has gotten a lot smarter uh, than it was even a few years ago as to you know their expectations and how a project should be performing in the field. Do you sense that? Because I, I think that's a growing story here that whether it's the thermal events or string inverters failing in the field, which I'm hearing a lot about on the solar side or, um, you know, uh, issues with, you know, faults and IBRs misbehaving. These are things that if if they continue to percolate and and reach a trend level could be a problem for us. And I, I don't know that it's being taken as seriously as it should be. I agree with you. Um, I think it's. It is, it's, it is an issue. I think, you know, and, and there's also I, uh, one of my concerns too, is that you have a lot of pressure now with rising interest rates. I was listening to one of your, your earlier podcasts um, with one of the, uh, one of the developers. It's with the pressure that's happening on interest rates, you're now having tougher financial hurdles as they're looking at financing projects. And there's going to be a push to try and lower CapEx as much as possible you know, you really need to step back and take a bigger picture look at kind of the long-term viability of what you're putting out into the field uh, with, with a much higher level of, of um, kind of a, a critical eye. And I think especially because we're also getting to that point where you're now getting pushback on solar deployments and you're going to get pushed and you are getting pushback on some storage deployments. And it's, we need to convince the broader population that these are great things and that they are not going to be rendered useless after five or 10 years for some company that went out of business or that didn't have, you know, technology that, that did what they were promising it could do. So I think raising the bar on that, as I've seen done in semiconductors, as I've seen done, you know, on, on, in other industries, I think it's, um, it would be a great next step for us. I imagine that Tom Byrne at Clean Capital will be happy that you listened to uh, to his episode. And maybe we can get him to yeah. buy some Powin batteries because I think they're getting more involved in storage. So I'll, I'll link yeah. you guys together. Um, yeah, I know. I, I, I appreciate that point. And I think that, you know, going back to Powin's role in the market and being that full stack provider outside of out, outside of cells, I would imagine removing cooks from the kitchen is beneficial when it's coming down to reliability, good and bad for you guys. So if it doesn't work in the field and isn't performing to expectations and is uh, otherwise misbehaving, that's on you. I mean, there's no one else to really blame. It, there's not a separate software provider. There's not someone else who's handling the hardware. Um, I, I guess that kind of shifts some risk from your customers and your partners to you, but um, maybe strengthens the, the overall value of the platform. Do you share that? that thought? 
I do. And I, and I think if you're working on something that's important, you think if you think you're solving an important problem, the worst situation to be in is when you've got people pointing fingers. I mean, I've been involved in my chip days in automotive recalls. And when you have everybody pointing fingers, nobody's happy. Everybody's upset and the problem doesn't get solved. I think by having it more underneath one roof with resources that, you know, report up into me, it, it gives me a feeling of confidence that we're at a bare minimum, we're going to get it solved faster. I can assure you, we'll get it solved faster than if you have multiple parties in the room, um, if it's coming, coming underneath our, our umbrella. And I know you have a bunch of power electronics partners and, and people that give you the com- components that eventually, eventually go into that battery shell. But I think to solar and one of the ongoing issues right now that I'm hearing about is breakage with, you know, these, these panels that have become monstrosities in size. They're just so gigantic. Yes. And when they're getting linked to the, the tracking equipment, you're dealing with breakage issues. And then you have a, uh, OEM on the, the, tracker side pointing at the module manufacturer pointing at the EPC developer asset owner and everyone's standing there like you know Spider-Man with their guns out saying who's who's going to foot the bill here and whose warranty yep. does it fall under um I, I can imagine that that'd be a luxury to at least have one call to make and and have you guys figure out the rest later it, it is I, it's one of the things that drew me to Palin it's one of the fun parts of the job is you know knowing that again an important market that needs what you're doing and positioning yourselves as somebody that can be a problem solver and also a problem avoider, right? Do what you need to do in advance so that you don't have the problems uh, down the road. How about market fit? You talked about Australia. Powen has projects all over the world and, and you're doing some stuff in Europe. You're obviously based in the U.S. and would like to see this market succeed. And aiding that mission is the Inflation Reduction Act and the extension of the ITC to standalone storage. And I'm sure that was welcome news to Powen, your policy team and the, the broader segment. But at the same time, I'm hearing a lot more. This is a very I'm hearing episode, which I'm, I'm noticing. But that's that's kind of what I use this this vertical for is just my musings and conversations. Um, hearing more and more about just the saturation in the space and that we don't have enough uh, you know, bandwidth within the market to support all the build out and all these these platforms that are focusing on the U.S. with, you know, predominantly storage serving ancillary services and ERCOT and um, looking around the landscape of the rest of the country and saying, you know, where is this all going to go? And is there enough meat on the bone for all of these companies? How do you view it and how does that fit into Powell's overall strategy of, you know, where you're playing? Well, I'd say first, when it it comes to the U.S. market, we've been blessed to get to get associated with some very substantial, well-run, well-run partners. Um, And I think, you know, this might be true of I think it's true of true of a a number of of us. You're really looking for those long term partners, right? People, you know, that are going to have good repeat business for you because the, the startup on the first project is always there's all kinds of pains and bumps and misunderstandings and things you need to do on contracting. But once you get that done and once you build that trust, you can then just fly. And so I think we're really looking for the partners that have that long-term view, Um, you know, whether they own the assets long-term or whether they're thinking about deploying new projects uh, long-term, that's really where we're looking. We've got, I'd say a number within the U S you know, in terms of how things shake out uh, within the U.S. market, I, I probably would listen to a uh, to a John Engel for, uh, podcast to try and learn more about how exactly all it's going to shake out. But I know for us, the U.S. is an important market. We have big projects in Australia. Uh, we are, I would say, we're still relatively early days outside of the U.S. in Australia. We've got a big announcement we did with Vena Energy with a big eight gigawatt hour uh, deployment that they're looking at and storage in Southeast Asia and Indonesia. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going out there in the world. And again, we look for markets where we think there are going to be developers and partners that want the kind of kind of trusted partner that we're striving to be. If they want somebody who's more transactional, um, you know, there are others that will, though I think will transact um, in a way, on a, in a short-term basis, there are a lot of options for that. I think really what we're looking for are the ones that want to partner for the longer term. So you're not interested in a race to the bottom on price and, you know, take the projects where you can get them. You do want that longer-term relationship where you can keep coming back to the well with an EDF, you mentioned, you know, some of these bigger, bigger clients. 
Yes. Um, what I would say, I remember at SunPower, we had in our investor deck, we had this, this great slide where it showed probably going back like 20, 25 years, all of the solar suppliers that were in the market. And then it showed how they dropped off over time and how you were left with like one or two that had existed over the, that period of time. I think the race to the bottom, you get a lot of people that are going to be out there very opportunistically trying to win business. And you know, that, that's just not a winning strategy. Once you have some perturbation in the supply chain or, or you know, who knows, right? The financing, um, you see those players drop out. So, and I think we see that with most of the customers we work with. They recognize, hey, you know, somebody may be coming at us with some kind of a rock bottom price and a, and a lot of promises, but they haven't really done it before. Uh, we don't necessarily trust necessarily. They're going to stand behind that kind of pricing in terms over time. And we want somebody that we can trust longer term. It's it's a it's a much better financial model, and our our customers want us to be around for a long time. So having us do a project for them where we're losing money, that's not a, a long term path to success. What are some of the other red flags that uh, folks listening should watch out for? Not just in picking a, a battery supplier, but the broader storage industry. Is there anything? I mean, as you're doing your own internal risk assessment. Um, is there anything you're watching for, whether it's policy or supply chain, that you see as, you know, this could be a, a threat to, you know, our, our own growth trajectory, but but the broader segment? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily point to the threats. I mean, obviously we're all waiting, um, anticipating the the domestic content elements in the US market to get figured out, um, you know, from a from an ITC perspective. But um, I think, you know, that's a little more of a facilitator just for us building out more of the U.S. market um, itself. You know, I guess what I what I would say and what, you know, I'll, I'll tell people over Thanksgiving dinner is that, you know, you can look at renewables and you can shoot a lot of darts at or throw a lot of darts at renewables um, because of additional funding. And I've had, you know, some relatives talk about the IRA and and God, we're putting all this money into renewables. You look at the amount of money that still goes into coal today, and it's stunning. Mm -hmm. I think, but people are just completely oblivious to it. So it's again, I think you know you can get to both extremes on this energy conversation and get to untenable situations, untenable positions. There's a really reasonable midpoint when it comes to renewables that that make them an unimpeachable answer to a really tough problem that we have within within the country and in the world. And, you know, let's get back, let's get away from the hysteric. Let's really focus on the, on the meat and potatoes side of it. And what you're going to find is that renewable, and in particular, I think the, the storage element that we're now bringing in is a great answer to, to a problem that we have. And at Palin, you know, we're working day and night to make that as unimpeachable as we possibly can. I don't think you did it purposefully, but you beautifully rounded out the uh, Thanksgiving dinner analogy with the meat and potatoes on the back end. And I do want to know if your family, Jeff, is talking about batteries around the Thanksgiving table, because I, I, I might need you to, to press record and keep that in your, your jacket pocket. Oh, so many heady, highbrow conversations at the, at the, at the Waters uh, dinner table. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, this is why we don't get into cells. Um, yeah. And then it kicks off. Um Let's let's backtrack a little bit. So we talked about Maxion going public and you leading that effort. Um, you know, you've you've mentioned that Powen has a really strong financial foundation, but could that similar path be in store for the company? And do you see that as a, a worthwhile opportunity to you know take a, a U.S. battery storage manufacturer public at a la you know Fluence? Sure. I mean, I think Fluence obviously is a great surrogate for us. And you know, if you look at how they're received. In the market, it tells you that the capital markets are public markets are are a good potential path for us. Um, you know, one of the things that there are a couple of things I love about Palin. One is the growth trajectory, right? So, three gigawatt hours in production or out in 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 the field now. Twelve gigawatt hours that's currently in production. A you know a a funnel that just continues to grow with time. Um, but we've also got a great set of of uh, equity holders as well. And there's patience within them. So, you know, my sense is as we're continuing to do what we're doing as a company, I think there is a path where we could remain a private company. Um, I, but I think as well, if you look at the kind of growth that, that we're projecting, I think capital markets would be a good play here. 
And at the end of the day, it's all going to come down to, um, you know, what's the state of the capital markets uh, when we're ready to say, yeah, we think this, this could be a good move for us. For me, one of the things that I like about the capital markets is, um, you know, the, the public markets is, is just the flexibility in being able to add capital. You can do it quickly, right? You can, you know, you can do, you can issue more equity, you can do convertible notes. There are a lot of ways that you can go out and pick up, you know, a couple hundred million bucks in a matter of, you can do a shelf listing, right? You, you can get it in a matter of days if you need it. And when you don't have it, you know, it just, there's just a longer cycle time on that kind of stuff. Um, I love our investors. Um, we've got a great kind of broad set of investors. And, uh, but I think public could be in our, our future. What is that? I mean, do you have kind of a rough timeline on when that would work for Powen without giving away too many, you know, for you, you don't have to worry about forward looking statements yet. You're a renegade, Jeff. You're a maverick. Um, you can say whatever you want on this podcast, but how, how does that look? Like, is that still something that, you know, is, is very far out or is something that Powen could consider in the relative, you know, future? Well, maybe I'll answer it in this way. Um, even despite the fact that I don't have my forward-looking statement concerns, um, I, I really think, and I talk in the we talk in the company about being IPO ready, and it doesn't necessarily we use that as a term. We don't say it's not necessarily that we're going to IPO, but it's saying that we have the fundamentals in the engine of the company and in the market and the demand of the company to go public if that ends up being something we want to do. Because certainly. If the markets are right and that seems like a good path for us, I don't want to be like, oh, well, you know, we don't quite have all of our SEC mm-hmm. reporting engine down. And um, so we're doing a lot right now to get there. If I think about what we need to do, I, it's not long term. It's I mean, it's relatively near term. Um, and there are, you know, just things around as you build up more of a portfolio. This is a, it's a project based business. So your revenue can be a little bit lumpy as you're kind of in your early days of growth. And, you know, even though we're at kind of that three gigawatt hour phase, we're, we're still cranking. Uh, but I think you're going to see things from a growth projection perspective, um, hit a point with a profitability perspective, all those things will come together. And it's not a long-term proposition. It's, it's a near-term proposition. All right. So a couple of years will be the quote that I, uh, take out of this and, and put in the headline. Well, and I'll uh, deny it if it's longer than that, John. I'm that's sure. okay. No, no one's going to make it to 46 minutes and 30 seconds anyway. So this is where I get to start throwing <laughs> stuff out. Um, but, but as you look at the capital markets and what would be the ripe conditions for you to consider a move like that, it has been a tough stretch amid the, you know, the interest rates and inflation that you were alluding to earlier. And a lot uh, of quality companies in the clean energy space, which, albeit is, is very diverse and you all have different markets and customers, it's been a tough go, um, especially at the residential level, but even for the bigger players like a next era, you, you know, yield codes dealing with pretty, pretty significant headwinds. So how do you look at that and say um, this would work for us or would it take like a seismic shift in that landscape to make a move? We did the same thing at Maxion doing the same thing here at Palin, which is, you need to focus on the things that you can control. Um, you know, especially once you become a public company, everybody's always watching the stock price and you're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're doing so well, but why is our stock price falling 50%? It's like, well, welcome to the energy industry. You know, you have a customer does a bad report and all of a sudden, you know, our stock price falls in half. Um, I think it's really around focusing and building the right fundamentals of the company in terms of, on-time delivery in terms of, you know, product that does what it's supposed to do in terms of just building up more and more great long-term relationships with great global customers. Um, You do all of that. And then it's really just a matter of, you know, with your current investors and maybe new investors, making sure that you've got the capital you need to just to continue to grow. And you wait for the market to get right. I mean, it's, you, you know, you've, you've mentioned the solar coaster in your, your podcast before. It's, you know, it's, it's the energy coaster, which I guess is a little less cute, but it's, <laughs> it's these undulations just come and go. And that's why you need to be a long-term player. You need to be thinking about the long-term in this industry. Because if you just focus on the current environment and optimize for that, you're going to be sunk in two to four years. I mean, it's just like an almost inevitable. Let's round out here, Jeff. What excites you most about what you're working on and what maybe 
were a few of those things that um, as you were sitting in the big chair for the first time with Powen and you're, you're getting a little giddy of, you know, I can't wait to explore this or this is an untapped area that we're not taking advantage of or here's a mark, market movement that, you know, we need to position to, to strike on. Um, does anything come to mind? Yeah, a couple of things. I think, you know, first, the I had seen a lot of pictures and had a lot of conversations about this Waratah super battery project that we have. But when you actually stand out there on the concrete and look at it, it is, it's inspiring. I mean, it truly is. And what, what makes these projects so neat too is that, you know, everything is kind of co-located around the main grid connection areas. So you have all this concrete being laid and you can see some of the early product coming in. Some of the inverters were making their way in. And right in the near distance, you see this um, natural gas stacks from a plant that's there. And even just a little bit further in the distance, you see these coal stacks from hmm. the coal-fired plants that are still operating today. So it's like this great opportunity that you're seeing, and you see the rearview mirror just right there in the horizon. And it's um, it's just it, it's beyond inspiring. Um, there are other projects that we're working on that are doing similar kinds of things, even here in the U.S., that will probably be announced sometime in the next number of months that take on that, that same kind of a feel. And that it's just super inspiring. And I think as these communities start to see these things up and in operation, it's going to bring together all the, the reasons why, you know, I'm guessing you do your podcast and other work and, and why I do what I do. It's, it's just beautiful. Um, I think for us, it's, there's also this element of international expansion. And it's not to say that storage isn't happening elsewhere now, but I would just say for us as a company, we're in our early days of really growing internationally. We have some big projects with really important big customers, um, but there's a lot more out there. Um, I think just within Europe alone, there's a lot more out there. And we're building up, building up even more of an infrastructure overseas to make sure that we can provide the same 20-year assurance of we're going to be there with you side by side for as long as you want us there. Uh, we need to build up that same kind of a of a feel overseas, and and that's something I'm super excited about making happen here over the next zero to six months. Jeff Waters, thanks so much for joining the Fact of This podcast. John, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Jeff Waters for joining the podcast. Factor This is a production of Renewable Energy World and Clarion Energy. Join us every Monday as we break down solar's biggest stories with industry leaders who actually move the needle. And please leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. and We'll see you next time on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the Interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.